0: Our first Bible reading for the night is coming from Romans chapter 12 verses 4 to 8 and can be found on page 920 of the Church Bibles. Romans, chapter 12, verses 4 to 8. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Our second Bible reading for tonight comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11, to 11, and can be found on page 982 of the Church Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling.
1: Uh, brothers and sisters, good evening. Uh, Pete Stedman uh, on staff here at Norwest and wrapping up our sermon series uh, called He Who Brings Life. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we ask that you will slow us down. To hear your word. Slow us down. That we might know you better. Slow us down, Father. That we might live lives that bring you glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Francis says, I wonder if you have ever had someone encourage you in a way... Uh, that made you want to be more like Jesus. Have you ever had that happen? I wonder if you've ever heard a sermon preached that made you think to yourself, I just want to serve Jesus with my whole life. Or perhaps you can remember a time where someone came close and comforted you in a difficult situation, reminding you of the promises of God. Or I wonder if you've ever chat, sat in a church on a Sunday and been part of a service that's been well organised and is well run with a news sheet that's been well printed and well structured. If you have, you've almost certainly been on the receiving end of someone else's spiritual gifts. We all have at one time or another. The question is, what are spiritual gifts? Friends, I'm glad you're here today. We've come to the end of our five-week series on the Holy Spirit, called "He Who Brings Life." We started with the Trinity, looking at who God was in and of Himself. We've then looked at who the Holy Spirit is, uh, how He acts, uh, and today we finish our series by thinking about, looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, and how He's poured them out upon His church, what we would call spiritual gifts. Now, you might remember that in 1 Corinthians 12, a key part of the New Testament that talks about spiritual gifts, Paul starts 1 Corinthians 12 by saying this. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Well, I presume that Paul speaks to us tonight as well. Paul doesn't want us to be uninformed either. So that's what we're going to be thinking about tonight. And there's going to be four key questions that shape our sermon. The first is, what are spiritual gifts? The second, who gets them? The third, what are they for? The fourth and final, what are my gifts? Well, let's start by looking at the first, what are spiritual gifts? You know, in Romans 1, uh, we read of one of Paul's purposes for wanting to visit the church in Rome. This is what he says in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 on the screen. Paul says this, I long to see you, speaking to the church, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Friends, this gives us some insight into what spiritual gifts are. You see, for Paul, a spiritual gift is something that God uses in or through one person to build up faith in Jesus Christ in another person. Perhaps the simplest way to describe a spiritual gift is this. A spiritual gift is an expression of faith in Jesus which aims to strengthen faith in Jesus. What we then find when we get to the New Testament is five lists of gifts that the Holy Spirit has poured out upon his church to ordinary people like you and me. Here's the thing, here's where it gets a bit tricky. All the five lists are different. They don't overlap a whole lot. So in Romans 12, we learn of the gifts of prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leading and acting mercifully. 1 Corinthians 12, we have a full list which includes speaking of wisdom, Speaking of knowledge, prophecy, ability to distinguish between spirits, various kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. 1 Peter 4 categorizes every gift there is into two categories. Speaking the words of God on one hand, and serving others on the other. Ephesians 4, many of you will know this passage, but we learn that God has equipped his church with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But there's more to it than that. So listen to what the New Testament scholar Peter O'Brien, the ex vice principal of Moore College, says. The New Testament contains five such lists of gifts, which between them number more than 20 different gifts, some of which are not particularly spectacular. Each list diverges significantly from the others. None is complete, but each is selective and illustrative, with no effort to force the varying gifts into a neat scheme. Even all five do not present a full catalogue of gifts so here's what we find in the new testament and it takes us back to our original definition a spiritual gift is an expression of faith in jesus of which there are thousands which aims to strengthen another person's faith in jesus well that's our background let's move to our second question who gets spiritual gifts is it just the spiritual that would make sense is it just special christians Perhaps it's just clergy. Well, no, what we find uh, is something entirely different. And this is most clearly spelled out for us in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 7. So in a section on spiritual gifts, Paul says this. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Now, remember, 1 Corinthians is written, uh, it's a letter written not to a school of preachers uh, or or a group of Bible study leaders or or, or a group of pastors. It's written to a whole church. And we studied 1 Corinthians in terms uh, terms 1 and a bit of term 2 this year. What we saw then is the Corinthian church was pretty unhealthy. In fact, there's a lot of sin that was rampant in their midst. And yet we're told here that every person in that church who belonged to Jesus is given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, that means you. That means me. That means if we belong to Jesus Christ, then he is gifted to us a manifestation, an expression, a gift of his Spirit. Now, that is uncontroversial, but this next point is not. So, we need to be clear on this. Whilst everyone gets gifts, not everyone gets gifts in the same measure. We all get gifts, but in varying measures, we're told. I wonder if you've ever noticed uh, here at Chapel Lane that there are some people in this church that have this ability just to pour themselves out in the service of others in a way that makes you feel exhausted just watching it. Have you met them? They're here. Or have you ever met that person here at Chapel Lane who whenever they speak... They just draw you in. Well, then there's the person in the church, and actually you may not know about these people, but I certainly do. They have this ability to be generous, like remarkably generous, well above their means. And it's Romans 12 that clears this up for us. It says this, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, here's the point. Four of the gifts mentioned here in verse 8, we're told in other parts of the New Testament, are expected of every Christian. So, serving, Galatians 5. Encouraging, 1 Thess 5. Giving, 2 Corinthians 9, showing mercy, Luke 6. The Bible is crystal clear that every Christian is to serve, encourage, give generously and show mercy. And yet what we learn here in Romans 12 is that there are some people in the church who are given particular gifts in those areas. So they're able to serve more, be more encouraging, be more generous, be more merciful than others. That is their gift. Brothers and sisters, if God has enabled you to serve him in some areas more than others around you are either willing or able, it may well be because God has equipped you with a spiritual gift to serve in the way that you are. So what Paul shows us here, I think, uh, is very helpful and can actually protect us from two dangers that can lie in wait for all of us. Here's the first. Uh, it is the danger of looking at people around us and seeing what gifts they have and thinking, I wish I had their spiritual gift. Oh, I wish I had their ability to serve. You know, if my family wasn't so needy, if I'd grown up in a Christian home, if my husband or my wife was converted, whatever it might be. Brothers and sisters, This way of looking at the church and its serving will lead you to become discouraged in the first instance and it will ultimately crush you. It will crush you. Comparison will kill you. And it all comes about because we are looking in the wrong direction. But there's a second mistake we make and none of you will admit that we make this mistake, but we all do, so that's okay. I'll just put it out there and call it for what it is. We are all prone to this. And this is when we look at other people around us and we think to ourselves, "Hmm, you know what? You're a bit slack. (laughs) I wish you'd do more. And we're passive aggressive, so we don't say it out loud, but it's exactly how we feel. You know, I I wish you'd step up like I do. There's lots to do around here, you know. I've got four children too. Or whatever is the narrative that runs through your head, that's simply mine. And we start to become like Martha, that poor maligned woman from the Gospels who is always rolled out for sermons like this. But it's true. Can I say that that is just terrible in a church when that happens. And it is relationship destroying when you look around you and you wonder why people don't serve like you, as much as you. And it leads to that soul-killing attribute, the one that we all fight against all our days, pride. And you can see the problems with both of these dangers, right? They come about because we look sideways. We look Uh, at people around us and, and how they are serving more than us or less than us or easier than us or harder than us or with more obvious or less obvious gifts than we have. And friends, there is only one solution to this, and it takes a lot of work because they all do. It is to stop looking around you and to get on your knees and become more and more captivated by Jesus himself. You see, when you are captivated by Jesus the one who pours out gifts. You'll stop worrying what other people do and you'll just revel in the remarkable privilege that it is that he calls you to do his work. As you keep your eyes on Jesus, the one who pours out different gifts upon different people in different churches and in different measure, the one for whom all service is for, the one who we seek to glorify. You see, when we grasp that, when we hold that, when we live that, We start to serve in the church. We start to view our brothers and sisters the way God would have us. Many of you won't know who this man is, not by sight anyway, but you will have heard of him. This is William Carey, the missionary to India, who is credited with being the father of modern missions. Uh, He was involved in his lifetime of overseeing the Bible translated in India into 40, 40 different languages. Now, many of you will not have heard of William Carey's sister. That's because history has not recorded her name. We don't know her name. You may not have even known that he had a sister. Here's what we do know. We know that his sister was almost entirely paralysed and bedridden for her whole life back in the UK. And whilst Carey laboured in India translating and preaching the gospel... His sister lay on her back and prayed and prayed and prayed month after month after month, year after year, bringing before the Lord all the problems, challenges, joys, successes of her brothers, stunning and exciting work over in India. Now, here's the question. Here's the question. Who did the greater work? Who had the better spiritual gift? Who worked harder? The questions are a nonsense, aren't they? They're they're a madness. Now, what we see is that God equips different people in his church in different ways for different ministries. And the work of the gospel could not go forward without all the gifts that God has poured out being used. Okay, uh, we've seen what spiritual gifts are, an expression of faith in Jesus, which aim to strengthen faith in Jesus. We've seen that everyone who belongs to Christ gets them. What are they for? Now, you've probably already got a pretty good idea of that, because as we've started to work through this, it's become clear. But let's see what the Apostle Peter adds to this. And what I'm going to read is from 1 Peter 4, verses 10 to 11. So it's on the screen. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. couple of things to notice. Um, Of all the gifts out there in the world, uh, Peter breaks them into two categories only. That is speaking the words of God, speaking gifts, and serving, serving gifts. Uh, that's there and there uh, But then we're told That these spiritual gifts Have only two purposes The first is in verse 10 It's here Our gifts are used To serve others As faithful stewards Of God's grace Now the NIV I'm sort of confused here Because I thought this was The NIV 2011 uh, I saw Nathan from our Pew Bible Which is the NIV 2011 But I believe that the word Administering is not in yours And it says stewarding Or stewardship Is that right? Has anyone got that there? It said Stewards so that's really weird because I think there's now two versions of the NIV 2011, which I've never seen before. Anyway, I'll look, at, I'll look into that. So stay with the word steward. That's what it should be. Uh, you know what the word steward refers to, right? The word steward refers to a lack of ownership of something and yet a responsibility for that same thing. So a steward, if, you, if you are the steward of something, that thing is put into your, entrust into your care. It's not yours, but you are fully responsible for it. And what this tells us is that the gifts that you have are not yours in the first instance. Your spiritual gifts are actually not for you in the first instance. They are entrusted to you for others. And in a sense, God ministers to people in his church through his grace in a thousand different ways. And in the church, the main way God ministers his grace to people is through people like you and me, using the gifts He is entrusted to us first reason we're given gifts it's to serve others and the second's in verse 11 if anyone speaks they should do so as one who speaks the very words of god if anyone serves they should do so with the strength god provides here it is so that in all things god may be praised through jesus christ to him be the glory and the power forever and ever amen do you see the second reason why we get gifts So that when all is said and done, whether you've been deeply encouraged by a stunning sermon or deeply cared for by a gracious sister in Christ or you've been deeply generous back to the God who gave you not 10% but 100% of what you have, the result of that is people praising God for how remarkable he is through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, for example... Our musos can know they've used their gifts well, not when you go up to them and say, gee, that's a great great song you played tonight. But when someone goes up to their musos and says, you know what, the way you guys played tonight just enabled me to sing praises to God and I'm so thankful to him for the way he's gifted you in it. It's not about our musos, preachers, Bible study leaders, parish council, morning tea, drink service. It's not about that. It's about using our gifts that God will receive the glory. That is what gifts are for. Now, let me flag a warning on this. Let me flag a warning on this. In the life of the church and in the life of our church, there is the risk for all of us that we start to hold on to our ministries too tightly. Now, this is always interesting, fascinating and tragic at the same time. So, for example, you ask someone who always rings the bells at church, To serve in a different way. Or you ask someone else to help out with ringing the bells. Now, I've chosen this as an example here. Why? Because we have no bells. So i offend no one or everyone. And I'm going for everyone. So the person then says to you, how dare you ask me not to ring the bells here? I've always done this. This is my ministry. I'm gifted in this. Or they say, how dare you ask someone else to help me ring the bells? Well, I'm doing a bad job. This is my ministry. I'm gifted at this. What happens is this. We start to wrap up our sense of identity, of of who we are. We wrap that into the thing we do, the way we serve, the gift that we have. What we find is this. We have turned our act of serving God into an act of serving ourselves. So subtle. So perverse. What we've actually done is we've turned our service of God into an idol. So, so rather serving or using our gifts being about building up God and serving his people, it morphs and shifts and twists like a snake uh, into being about us and how we feel about ourselves. Oh, so perverse. Aren't we wicked? I'm wicked. And it's an idol because that, start, that act then starts to communicate back to me something about my value and my worth. You see, I'm valued here at Northwest because I ring the bells. I preach the sermons. I serve the drink. Now it's interesting. Philip Jensen, the now retired dean of St. Andrew's Cathedral uh, in the city, once said something classic on this. And the moment he said it, I knew he was right, and it cut me to the heart. He said this. He said, you know what? Everyone denies they worship an idol. <laughs> worship an idol? I don't worship an idol. Everyone denies it. But you can always tell that they have when you watch their reaction when the idol is taken away. That is entirely Right. It is my experience of self. It is my experience of others in this place. Worship an idol. What are you talking about? I worship Jesus. No worries. I wonder if you'd mind ring, someone else ring the bells. Someone else ring the bells? What are you saying? I can't do a good job. That's my spiritual gift. How dare you? And on it goes. Friends, here's what we need to take hold of. Here's what we need to take hold of. We serve God's people with our gifts, not ourselves. And the reason we do it is that God will be glorified in Christ Jesus. Not ourselves. So, so let me, on this note, finish on this. Here's a diagnostic for you. Beware those deep emotions that bubble up within you when someone speaks to you about serving in a different way or when someone gives you feedback about the way you have served when you feel strongly criticized. Okay? Beware those emotions that bubble up. Yes, there is a chance that the person speaking to you has been insensitive and blunt. We can't rule that out. But nor can we rule out the fact that that we may have turned our use of our spiritual gifts into an idol. And those bubbling emotions may well reveal to you an idol you must slay at the foot of the cross. You see, you will know that you are serving Jesus rightly, that you are using your gifts rightly. When you hold your tasks and ministries lightly and you hold your love for Jesus and the spread of his gospel tightly, Because then you'll do anything for him. Well, final question. We'll finish on this. You know, you can't speak about spiritual gifts without addressing the key question of, so what's my spiritual gift? Because you speak about spiritual gifts and the whole sermon, everyone's sitting there thinking, hey, I wonder what mine are. So we're going to address that now. Uh, You might be pleased to know, or not, that there's a whole industry given over to how you can find your spiritual gifts. And some of you might have used these books before. Kurong has hundreds Now, sometimes what happens in the life of a church is people say, look, I can't really serve here in the West because I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. And what follows from that is either a sense of sadness that they don't know the best way to serve because no one's told them, or a search for those elusive gifts that you must track down first before you can start serving. I reckon the person who nails this issue for us is John Piper, the American author, Baptist pastor. I reckon he nails it. This is what he says. I really believe that the problem of not knowing our spiritual gifts is not a basic problem. The word basic there means foundational. It's not a basic problem. More basic, more foundational is the problem of not desiring very much to strengthen other people's faith. Now, what does he mean? I want you to go back to what a spiritual gift is. Remember, it is an expression of faith which aims to strengthen faith. Okay? Okay? Piper's saying that people get all caught up with the first part of that. What's my expression of faith? What is it that I'm meant to do? Am I meant to preach the word of God or is it the service of God? Do I have a gift for evangelism but I don't know? Can I do a course? Maybe I should just speak to someone about Jesus but I don't know if I can do that because I haven't done a course and I might get it wrong. I don't know, woe is me, wretched man that I am. That's where that can lead to. And Piper's view, and he cuts through this and I think he's right, is that our problem isn't with the first part which speaks about activity, it's actually about the second which speaks about our hearts. Remember, a spiritual gift is an expression of faith in Jesus, which aims to strengthen faith in Jesus. And he says our problems with the second part of that. Our problem is that we actually don't desire enough, we don't long enough to build up others in Jesus. Piper says our problem is we don't really want to do that. It's just easier to know what our gifts are. See, it seems to me that the question of what are my spiritual gifts is important but not primary. The better question is this. How can I strengthen the faith of brothers and sisters around me whom God brings across my path today? How can I share the love of Christ? In what way with this person sitting before me that they might leave our interaction here right now with a surer knowledge of God's remarkable love for them in Christ? And you know what? The answer to that may well be a bowl of soup or a prayer of intercession or a proclamation of the gospel or a word of grace or a reminder of the future that Jesus has secured for his people. And here's the thing. As you long to do that, as you seek to do that in every and any and every situation that God brings you in, you will find out what your gifts are. You will find out what you can do with what the measure of grace that's been given to you that will work to build up others' love and faith in Jesus around you. What is your gift, brothers and sisters? I want to say it doesn't really matter. How can I love someone enough to strengthen them in their love for Jesus? Aim for that. You will find your gifts. Let me finish. I hope you've seen tonight what a remarkable privilege it is I hope you've seen through the whole series the remarkable privilege it is to have God himself, the fullness of God himself dwell within us by his spirit I hope you've seen tonight the the remarkable privilege it is to have been blessed with a manifestation of God's spirit a working of God's spirit that God would so choose to use you wretched man woman that you are in the way he extends his kingdom in this world That God has given you gifts to build up and encourage and love others for Jesus' sake. And as you do it, I hope you've been encouraged that you'll see you will be bringing praise, glory, honour to the Lord Jesus Christ. May he bless you as you seek to do his will. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you speak to us through. And we ask tonight, Father, for your forgiveness. For your forgiveness for when we make serving all about us. It's so ugly, Father. It is so ugly. And we're ashamed that we do it. And we're almost embarrassed to say it and think about how we do it. But we do. So insecure are we. So broken. So longing to make a name for ourselves and to reject your name, that we want to think serving's about us, but it is not. And and we want you to forgive us. Will you forgive us, Father? And Father, will you give us a new heart to serve? Not that we find out who we are, but that so we can point others to who you are so others can grow to know you more and more. We ask, Father, that you'll help us use our spiritual gifts in the power of your Spirit for your Son's glory and honour. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.